Hey everyone, it's Aline. As usual, we'll get to the show in just a second, but I wanted to let you all know of a, a little change to Less Than or Equal. We're going to go bi-weekly for now. Um, we might resume weekly later on, but for now, every other week is working better for um, my schedule and the schedule of many of my guests. So we'll see you right here on the Relay Podcasting Network every other Tuesday. Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. On the Relay Podcasting Network, I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I'm excited to be joined by Karen Catlin. Karen, welcome to the show. Oh, it's so great to be here, Aline. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm really excited to talk with you. Um, Karen, who are you? Yeah, so I'm an advocate for women in the tech industry. Um, just very briefly, Formerly, I was a tech executive, and I got very passionate about paying it forward, helping other women be successful with the careers that they wanted to have in tech. And so I kind of ditched my corporate job a few years ago to focus on helping other women. And as an advocate for women, um, what that means is I do a lot of speaking and writing and leadership coaching, primarily for women. And I do help a few guys as well, especially the men who want to be better male allies for women that they work with. So can you tell me a little bit, um, well, let me back up a little bit. I'll put a link in the show notes to an article that I believe was actually an interview that was actually published today as we're recording. Sure. It's um, on the Power to Fly website. Yeah. So yes. um, could you talk a little bit about your path to tech and and how you decided to get into this um, advocacy and mentorship space? Oh, sure. So my path to tech was a long time ago, and it started when I was in high school. And like many kids in high school, when they get accepted to college, they then start thinking about what they're going to major in. And I had no idea. I remember at the time, my dad showed me this article, it happened to be in Money Magazine, and it was about a young woman who had gotten her computer science degree and had gone on to be a, have a very successful career, even though she was only in her mid-20s, and she was making more money than I could have ever dreamed of. And I don't mean to sound too greedy or anything, but making money when I after I graduated was actually important to me. Um, we grew up with a very modest income in my family, and I wanted to make sure I could support myself, you know, once I got this degree. So it kind of caught my eye, this woman who was, you know, I'd studied computer science and was doing well with her career. And I remember my dad saying to me, Karen, you're a maker. You're always making crafts. You sew your own clothes. You enjoy knitting. And you're also good at math. So maybe you could combine those two, two areas of your life and be good and enjoy making software. And I said, sure, why don't I do that? That sounds kind of cool. But this was a long time ago. It was in the early 1980s, and I had never even touched a computer at that point. It's kind of crazy to think I would decide to major in computer science without having ever touched a computer. But back then, like... Most schools didn't have computers yet. Mine certainly didn't. And we didn't have computers at homes or in our small businesses. I mean, there just wasn't a lot of opportunity to have exposure and experience with computers. So it's not surprising that I had never touched a computer at that time. 
but I still don't really know what I was thinking of, like deciding to major in computer science without ever having touched a computer. But fortunately, you know, I made that decision and I went on to study computer science and I just loved it. I fell in love with coding and programming and being in technology and um, kind of the rest is history. Um, that my career, I, uh, I hate having to admit how old I am, but anyway, <laughs> I, I, you know, my first career where it was all about um, developing software was over 25 years. And during that time, I certainly, I was, you know, a hands-on software engineer. Then I moved into things like program management and then people management and eventually to executive leadership. Um, most recently, I was a vice president at Adobe Systems working in the CTO's office. And while I was at Adobe, I went to my first Grace Hopper celebration. Have you been to that before? I haven't, no. Yeah, oh, it's, it is amazing. It's, you know, the largest conference for women in the tech industry. And I went to that, I think it was in 2006. And my eyes were basically just opened up to the problems that were facing women in the tech industry. Because it hadn't been that bad earlier in my career. You know, there used to be a lot more women getting computer science degrees than we're seeing today. And when I started my career, there were a lot more women around, women, you know, sitting in the cubes next to me, being on my teams and so forth. And certainly over time, it changed, but I kind of hadn't noticed until 2006 when I went to Grace Hopper. And I came back to Adobe and I was pretty much all fired up about helping women at Adobe be successful based on everything I'd learned at Grace Hopper. And so I started the women's group at that point for Adobe. And I started doing a lot of mentoring and sponsoring and um, providing budget for career development opportunities for women and so forth. And over the next four years, I just kind of became more and more and more passionate about doing that and helping women. And that led me to deciding to leave my job and kind of ditch the whole corporate job um, and leave that behind to focus on helping women, not just at Adobe, but outside as well and you know, further throughout tech. So what was it like leaving a corporate career as a vice president and starting kind of this consulting company with a very... Um, I don't want to say narrow focus because that's, that's not a, a but a very specialized focus. Um, what was that transition like? Yeah. And not only was it a specialized focus, like I wasn't really even sure what it was going to be. Okay. I just knew that that was sort of the calling, the passion, the mission I wanted to do. And I have to admit when I first left my job, I did take about, I think it was eight months off to just kind of relax and get some things done that I had been ignoring, you know, house projects and other things like that. So that was just, that was needed to have some space from my busy, hectic corporate, you know, job responsibilities to this new thing. I needed to have some space. So I did take some time off. And when I started it up, I originally just started um, doing some writing and talking to a lot of people. I um, did a lot of networking, reaching to, out to people I knew and I didn't know as well to just get their advice and their experience and their perspective and just suggestions about what this business might look like. And then I also spent time networking with people who were I would say ahead of me in terms of just being a freelancer, being their own independent um, entity and how they were successful. You know, what what were some of their um, techniques with um, making sure their website 
adequately represented themselves and what how are they utilizing social media and public speaking and those types of things. So certainly I got some great mentorship from people who were a couple steps ahead of me, I'll say. Um, and because all of that kind of self-promotion and that being very visible, you know, kind of outside of your company, all of those things were new to me. I didn't have to do any of that when I was working. It was all focused pretty much within the company, within Adobe and previous companies um, on what the job entailed, what, what I needed to get done and so forth. And all of a sudden I was thrown into this area of, oh my gosh, I've got to build up my Twitter followers. I need to be, you know, Googleable. I was on the second page of the Google search results when uh -huh. I first started. And I knew I had to bring my name into the, you know, the, into the front of that um, search result page um, results. Um, so having to do all of that was so foreign, but um, also kind of intriguing and fun. And I, I enjoyed, um, learning how to do all of this. And I'm still learning now, but I feel like there's certain are certainly are some things I've mastered, which has been great. Yeah. Does that answer your question? It absolutely does. And Good. it's really resonating with me. I recently, I, two weeks ago tomorrow, I left my job to kind of be like, okay, what are my, what's my next step? Like mm -hmm. what, what am I doing next? And what does that look like? So it, it's kind of a, I don't know, reassuring to me <laughs> to hear you talk about, like, it took me a little bit to figure out what this was going to look like. Because I'm sitting here two weeks later going like, oh, uh, I'm not quite sure what I've done here and what I'm going to do. Right. Do, so do you have plans? I don't. Um, okay. Well, I, I, vaguely, I have some. Um, mm -hmm. I'm involved with App Camp for Girls. It's something I talk about a lot on the show. Um, nice. And so I'm bringing that to Phoenix this year and kind of... Um, part of what I'm really, really focusing on over the next couple of months is making sure that everything is as rock solid as I can get it um, so that it's it's really good. And I'm extremely fortunate that um, we really overpaid in taxes last year so I could take some time to do this. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so when your eight months was done, you'd been networking and talking to people and building Twitter followers and building a website and kind of solidifying um, your direction and maybe not necessarily exactly what you were going to do, but that direction. Um, what did that look like to you versus what it's become? Has, has it been surprising or are you pretty much on track with what you thought you'd be? Oh, yeah, good question. So soon it became clear to me that I wanted to do leadership coaching for women, you know, focus on that. And I um, knew that I could draw on my experience of being an executive, of mentoring people at Adobe and offer my perspective to my clients. So I knew what I, I definitely had that identified early on. And it was a matter of building up kind of word of mouth and building up those initial clients who would then start um, helping me build the business. So that has definitely grown. And I loved that part of my business. The thing that um, I'm surprised by is that I originally started blogging about the intersection of leadership and parenting. I have two kids, they're 18 and 20 now. And all throughout their lives, um, and as a working parent, I kept finding that all of the leadership training I was getting at work, I could apply to parenting at home. And the parenting, like ed classes and books I was reading for becoming a better parent, I actually could apply a lot of those techniques 
to leadership and apply it at work. So I was I was excited about blogging about this intersection of these two areas and um, hopefully as a way to inspire people to embrace their crazy busy lives as working parents because you're actually, you know, kind of getting a twofer. You know, you're kind of everything you're learning at work, you can apply at home and vice versa. Um, so I, I started out blogging about that and got the advice um, well, have you considered writing a book? That's a really great way to build up your reputation and your credibility as an independent consultant. And I never quite got excited about writing a book about the intersection of leadership and parenting. I was afraid it was too niche. And at the same time, that there was so much deep expertise, especially in parenting with people who have um, great backgrounds in child psychology and so forth that I just really, I couldn't be an expert in everything. It was more just this niche I was an expert in. And so I never got excited about writing a book, even though I enjoyed blogging about it. And then the surprising thing that happened is along the way, I met another woman who's a technical woman. Her name's Purnima Vijay Shankar. And Purnima has a great business called Femgineer. And Pornima's background is that she was the founding engineer at Mint.com mm. and has since gone on to create this business called Femgineer, where she basically offers a lot of entrepreneurship training to people who are interested in starting businesses. And she recently, has, uh, more recently, started doing a lot of um, running workshops in public speaking. And so I started collaborating with her on a few things. And she um, asked me to help out with some public speaking workshops. She needed someone to help um, with lectures and help train and coach and so forth. And I thought that was fun. So I started doing that. And before you know it, she said to me, hey, Karen, with all the material we have developed for our workshops, I think we have a book here. And so she and I last summer started writing a book on public speaking specifically for techies. You know, that's what we call it. Uh, it's public speaking for techies. And we self-published that book in November. And since then, it's just it's been very well received. And we're having so much fun going to various tech companies and talking about it and going to conferences and sharing our favorite tips from it and things like that. So what I thought, you know, four years ago that I might write about this intersection of parenting and leadership, it turns out that my first book is actually on public speaking. <laughs> and the other thing is I hated public speaking four years ago. I really hated it. Like I got so much stage fright. I didn't think I was very good at it, even though I had done some. And I really didn't want to do any more. But I got advice from a mentor that, you know, you probably should do public speaking to build up your re your reputation and share your message and build your clients and get your word out. And so I started doing more public speaking. I actually set a goal for myself to speak in public once a month. And that was about three years ago. And I'm proud to say that since then, I like I've given a talk at least once a month, if not more. Nice. And I actually now enjoy public speaking. And it's so fun to have this book about it, too, that shares so many stories, so many things I've learned along the way, as well as Pornima, my co-author. It's been great. So what do you think flipped that switch for you from being like, oh, I don't really want to do this to, oh, hey, yeah, let, let me speak more. I know it was, um, you know getting getting better at it you know practice makes perfect and that's certainly the case with public speaking the more you do at it the more comfortable you get the um 
more you feel that people are learning from you, that you're making an impact on people's lives by what you're sharing and so forth. And really the turning point for me was I was invited to give a TEDx talk, so participate in a TEDx. And leading up to that, I was super, super nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, This was about two years ago. I had done a little, you know, I'd started this monthly goal, but so I'd done some more public speaking, but I was still super nervous. And, you know, 10X is kind of a big deal. You know, it's not only did I have an important message to share, and it was all about gender diversity in tech and why it's a problem and why it used to not be as much of a problem and what everyone can do about it, right? I, I had this important message, but I also realized this was going to be recorded and put on the TED YouTube channel, right? Oh, so this yes. was a big deal. High I stakes, to, yeah. High stakes. I wanted to do a good job. So I got so nervous leading up to the talk, you know, as I worked out, you know, what I was going to be saying and my outline. And then as I started practicing it by myself and then practicing it in front of sort of a mini audience to get feedback, super, super nervous. And then fortunately, I heard about Amy Cuddy and the TED Talk she gave about two years ago on all sorts of things. But one of the messages is using power posing and expansive positions to increase your confidence and reduce your anxiety. And it's like the winning combination before you go on stage. So I watched her talk and I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is going to work, but I have nothing else to to do right now before my TED talk. Like, what am I going to do? So I ended up power posing the morning of my TEDx talk, like in my hotel room. You're supposed to do this for two minutes. You put your arms up in a victory sign, like a real expansive position. And you do this for two minutes. Um, So I did it in the hotel room. And then I did it backstage just before I stepped out to give my talk. And when I walked out on that stage, and it was huge, like huge audience, black, you know, dark and everything, kind of intimidating. I walked out and I actually was not nervous. I had so much fun giving my talk. It was like, it was like night and day from what I had expected. And so um, that was a turning point. I, from that point on now, I've just always loved public speaking. And I also power pose before every talk I give. <laughs> I Even it. if I'm not feeling nervous ahead of time, I still do it. It's 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 part of the process now. Mm-hmm. So the way I found you was from a previous uh, less than or equal guest who talked who talked about uh, your better male allies Twitter account. Yes. Um, and so I was hoping you tell me. The, the backstory of why you started that Twitter account and kind of what, what the goal is with it. Yes, I'm happy to. What's interesting is in 2014 at the Grace Hopper conference, which I was not at, I was more, I was at home kind of following it on Twitter and social media. But at that conference, there was a panel of male allies and it was various leaders from very um, well-known tech companies who got on stage at, at Grace Hopper in a panel format to talk about their perspective on women in tech and what they're doing to um, support women and so forth. Now, leading up to that panel, there was a little brouhaha. Um, and the brouhaha was about, you know, people being concerned of why are men taking the stage away from women at this women in tech conference, you know, and not all of the men who were being represented were very um, popular, I'll call it, with the women in tech community, um, especially some of the vocal majority. And what some of the women 
this, I'll call it the vocal majority, um, did ahead of time is they created a bingo card with all of the phrases that they expected these men to say. And these phrases were not going to be supportive phrases. These were the kind of phrases that meant that, that they expected the men to say that would really be shooting themselves in the foot or being kind of pat responses or whatever, and just expected them to say these things and fall flat. They made copies of these bingo cards. They distributed them to a bunch of people in the audience. And sure enough, as the men started talking, the women are looking at this bingo card, focused on looking for all the bad, right? And shouting out bingo on occasion. <laughs> I wasn't there, but that's just what I heard. Right. I was following and, that when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So afterwards, I was thinking, it's like, oh, there's so many men in tech who really want to be good allies, who want to support women, who care to the core about gender diversity, but they are so darn afraid of stepping over some line that they don't even know is there, that they don't see, that they, they can't anticipate how their words might not be received in the right way, even though they want to do the right thing, right? And I am concerned that if we are, um, if we hang out too many of the vocal men, you know, hang them out to dry, so to speak, that we'll never get the support we need from the rank and file across the tech industry. So I decided to create what I thought would be more of an aspirational version of that bingo card of the phrases, not the original one had all the phrases they expected the men to be saying that would shoot themselves in the foot kind of thing. I wanted the phrases we really wanted to hear from men mm -hmm. as a more of a um, aspirational kind of view of what it meant to be a male ally and what it could mean moving forward. Um, and I actually um, partnered with Kate Houston, who you had on your podcast last month, um, because she had been at the conference and I had heard through the grapevine that she was um, uh, just kind of, she cared about this as much as I did. And I had never met her before, but I connected with her on social media, told her what I wanted to do. And she's like, I'm in. So she, she and I collaborated on the original version of the bingo card. We then worked with a designer, Catherine Rotondo, who um, volunteered to help us make it look good. Thank goodness. Cause it was, um, it was pretty, <laughs> pretty much programmer art, um, or Karen art. Um, and, um, and so we, and oh gosh, she did such a great job. So anyway, so we, then we had this beautiful thing and Kate and I then wrote an article that um, we pitched to the Daily Beast and the Daily Beast picked it up about um, why, to, you know, the current generation of male allies really aren't helping women in tech and what we really want to be expecting moving forward. So that was great to have the Daily Beast pick it up and publish our bingo card for us. Um, and ever since then, that was, um, yeah, that was two years ago. Um, or not quite a year and a half ago or so. Um, but ever since then, I have taken charge of that Twitter account that we created to go along with the bingo card called at better allies. And I look for something every day that I can tweet that will be some sort of aspirational, affirmational kind of message for male allies. And I do it in terms of, um, being firsthand. So I talk about things like, well, on, you know, equal pay day, which was yesterday, I am reading this article um, to help me understand the, the wage gap. I don't remember my exact words, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. Or if I don't see anything in the news, I might just like paw back through my memory banks of being an executive and thinking about what would be some of the things I would want to do to support gender diversity. And so it may be things like, um, 
I, you know, another tweet might be, I make sure that um, everyone, both men and women, have a chance to be heard at my staff meetings. You know, things like that. Just, and I'm, I'm hoping, and maybe this is being very, very optimistic and very hopeful, but I hope that the men out there who are following me read these daily tweets and think just a little bit differently about something they can do at work today um, that might make the difference between a woman feeling welcome and included versus not. Um, and I'll just share with you on top of it, because Twitter is just so like in the moment. And mm-hmm. if you don't, if you're not online at the time, you miss it and all of that. I just recently started collecting my tweets for the week and putting them in a newsletter um, so that people can subscribe to that and get a weekly roundup, basically, of the tweets I've sent out. The thing I love about about the Better Male Allies account is that you you really do take small, actionable things um, that that men can do, um, because I think I think one of the struggles with being a, a straight white cisgender man in tech right now is that as you said so many so many people and so much of my audience is in this demographic and you all want to help women in tech but at the same time it's you're being told to kind of sit back and listen and so you're like what do I do you know my hands are Mm -hmm. tied you're telling me not to talk you're telling me to listen and you're telling me to help and how do I do all of these things these things are at odds and I think that the better male allies account really gives actionable steps like you know paying attention to what's happening in meetings and scrums at work or um, if you're in a position of power you know, doing audits to make sure that women are being paid fairly or people of color too, because people of color make less than white people do, you know, so auditing to make sure that all of your employees are being paid um, equally and, and those kinds of things where it's not necessarily about um, being outspoken, but like the really impactful, um, easy, I say easy, like everything's easy, but like, most of them, I think, are easy for people to start implementing and start thinking about and start noticing things. And I really right. appreciate that. Thank you. And I also look for leading examples. Um, so, for example, when Mark Benioff at Salesforce announced that he was going to do an audit by gender and fix the inequities, which I think he originally announced it was going to take him three years to do, um, but he was going to make it happen. And he ended up getting it done in like a fraction of the time. And he publicly announced he spent $3 million to address those inequities. So they had a problem and he's fixed them and he did it in record time and all of that. But I look for those examples because then I can tweet from the account something like, you know, I'm going to do a salary review by gender and fix inequities just like at Benioff at Salesforce, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think it's great to have these things be like, there are people doing good work and it's a matter of other people hopefully being inspired to follow their lead or take their lead, you know, and, and uh, join them. Um, another one example of that is um, a while ago, Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant wrote about office housework in the New York Times. And office housework is the kind of stuff that more women tend to pick up than men. And it's things like, oh, no one's taking minutes at this meeting. I'll do it. Oh, we need someone to buy the birthday card or the baby gift for the, you know, for someone in the, in the team. I'll do it. You know, all these things that 
are um, really, they're wonderful to do and needed and helpful and so forth, but they prevent women from taking on maybe more strategic projects or having the bandwidth to participate in that meeting because they're taking minutes or whatever. And women tend to have to take on more than their fair share of this office housework. So they also in that article cited an example where Richard Branson recently was in a meeting with 30 like CEOs on some some major think tank kind of thing. And he's the one who offered to take the notes, right? So then I look for that. And I look at that and I say, well, let's tweet about I, you know, I pledged to do my share of office housework like Richard Branson when he took notes for this for 30 CEOs. Um, again, trying to be um, showing people a good path to follow, to be inspired by others around them who are maybe just a step ahead of them. Yeah. And another note for people listening about the office housework thing is that women are often penalized if they don't do it. Whereas if men step up to do it, they're seen as... Um, <laughs> you know, exemplary employees, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, you cleaned up the conference room after the meeting. Good on you. Whereas if the women are like, yeah, I need to get back to my cube or office or whatever and start coding this thing, then they're like, well, why can't you just stay an extra five minutes to clean up? So um, just another thing to look out for. (laughs) Right. So what has surprised you the most in the last few years of um, I guess, speaking out about allyship and gender diversity and issues of disparity? So first of all, I am surprised by how many people are surprised that there used to be more women in tech. Okay. Every time I say that, people around me are like, what, what, what do you mean there used to be more women in tech? And as the numbers point out, you know, I got my CS degree in 1985 when 37% of all the computer science degrees across the United States went to women. And that represented just over 14,000 degrees, okay, women getting actual computer science degrees. And in 2013, it dropped to like 17%. And the overall number also went down to like 9,000. Okay, from 14,000 degrees being granted to 9,000 degrees being granted. And in that time, the number of men getting computer science degrees like tripled or something ridiculous. So um, I talk about that. And then the next thing out of their mouths is always, it's like, <laughs> it's so predictable. It's always like, well, why do you think that's happened? And this is exactly the topic of my TEDx talk, which I think it's all societal. I think that we are encouraging our young boys to tinker, to learn to code, to be on the robotics team, to take that after-school programming class, whatever it is, we're encouraging our young boys to do it more than our young girls. And it has this, and we see we see the impact. We see the, how women feel that they don't belong in these high school computer science classes because they look around and it's like in mostly guys. And those guys are probably talking about how they had been you know, hacking their Linux kernel over the weekend or this cool new Minecraft extension they just built or something. And the women are like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do that. Or I've right. never, you know, that's not where how I want to be spending my spare time or something. You know, they just feel they don't belong. And then if they're brave enough to get all through all of that and then get into like a college level class, again, they're looking around like, no one looks like me. No one, you know, yeah. I don't belong here. So I do think it's a societal thing. So to answer your question back at that is, um, is that I've been so surprised that people 
didn't realize this. Um, and so part of what I do is make sure people start realizing this and realize that it is so different in other countries. It is different in India where young women and young men are highly encouraged to study engineering and mathematics, right? It's different in China. It's different in Turkey. It's different in Australia. It's different in Cuba, okay? The gender ratios are so much more balanced in those countries. And so I firmly believe we can get the United States to that point as well. Again, we can get back to 1985 again. Yeah, and mentorship, right? Like you're, nobody looks like you in the classroom and nobody is nobody's no women are teaching you and no is obviously sweeping generalization yes yeah yeah Yeah. it's yeah the role models um i'd say more maybe even more so than mentorship we need to see people like us being successful um yeah to see a future for ourselves i i firmly believe that yeah yeah in fact i have a daughter who is studying computer science in college right now and she definitely will say that it, you know, part of the reason she felt she belonged, regardless of being the minority in her high school classes and so forth, is because of me. I mean, I've, I've been able to be a good role model for her. And of course, that warms my heart. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's 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 hard. I'm I was trying to think because I was a CS major and I ended up shifting to technical writing. Mm. Um, but. All of my advisors, um, all of my instructors, except for one, I had um, a web development class and the instructor was female. But all of my instructors, the entire time I was getting a CS degree, were were men. Oh, me too. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying, I can't remember my classmates, but I know that it was predominantly male. And this was early 2000s. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just... It, it hasn't changed or it's worse now. It's than worse. Even then, it's, you know, and that's amazing to me. Yeah. I went back through my yearbook actually recently for college and counted everyone who had a computer science degree by gender because I wasn't sure what the numbers were in my, you know, in my graduating class. And it was 39% women. It was really impressive. Yeah. We need to get back. It was to awesome. We, I had a lot of girlfriends. It was great. <laughs> yeah. That would be so nice. Um, so, is there anything that you wanted to talk about while, while we were chit-chatting? So I, I would love to talk just a little bit about public speaking and my book, um, just briefly. Let's do it. Yeah. So Pornima, my co-author, Pornima and I joke that our book is dude-friendly um, because it is not gendered at all. It is for anyone who wants to do more public speaking. But at the same time, like our hidden agenda is to hopefully encourage more women and other underrepresented minorities who may have felt in the past that they weren't welcome on stage, that their voices were not being heard. We hope to encourage more of them to be embracing public speaking, to doing more, even if that public speaking starts off with going, um, talking at a team meeting or an all hands meeting at your company, maybe speaking, you know, giving a short lightning talk at a meetup and then leading to maybe a bigger, uh, you know, onstage event kind of thing. We really hope that because we are both two technical women that we've written this book about te- uh, public speaking and that we do a lot of speaking ourselves that we hope to be role models, which gets back to that other conversation we were just finishing. Um, because I do think that, that, that women, 
um, and other underrepresented minorities need to see those role models. So that's part of our hidden agenda there. And I, I wanted to mention um, that and also put a plug in for an online class we're about to launch. Pornima and I have done this before. And once a year, we run an online class on public speaking. And it starts in May and runs for eight weeks. And it's live even though it's online, um, but it's live. So you join our lectures. We have homework assignments. We have office hours where you can um, turn in your homework and which is often a recording of yourself giving a talk and get feedback and so forth. Um, so if any of your listeners are interested in doing more public speaking, um, please um, check it out. You can go to femgineer.com and find out more information. And I bet you'll put a link for me in the I show notes as well. Yeah. And According to like a previous podcast I listened of yours, Aline, you, you want to do more public speaking. Yeah, this has actually been a topic on several recent episodes as I've been thinking about it more and more. And yeah, I've got um, there's a conference in Philadelphia, I believe it's in October this year um, that I'm going to pitch a talk to. Um, awesome. I just I was actually thinking about it this morning, like I need to sit down and write write my <laughs> my proposal yeah. for I actually have two. So I'm going to. Um, borrow uh, past guest Chuki's advice and submit two two talks and let them decide which, if either, they'd like me to give. That sounds great. Yeah, it, it's it's super interesting to me because I I actually I'm very introverted. This is something I talk about on the show. Like mm -hmm. I'm introverted. People don't believe me, but it's like you know I record the podcast and then I have to go take a nap. Like this is my level of introversion. <laughs> um, but I love public speaking. I love getting up on a stage and talking and um, and that kind of thing. Whereas I know it's, I know a lot of people who do a lot of public speaking and they really hate it. And it's it's really interesting to me. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, I'm an introvert, too. Definitely. So many of us are a lot in the tech in tech. industry. Yeah. 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 Um, I was actually curious as you were uh, talking at the beginning of the show, um, and this is kind of and aside to everything else we've talked about today, I think, but I grew up, um, so I started kindergarten in the mid 80 or the late eighties and we had a computer in the classroom. Um, and we always had something like Oregon trail, like the Apple IIe's or whatever. Um, so I've had computers kind of in my life, not necessarily a, a strong part of it since I started grade school, I guess. Um, but what was it like for you going in since, you know, you said you'd never like touched a computer prior to deciding that you would go for a CS degree. So I'm wondering, what was that like? What was it like entering that program and not knowing a whole lot about maybe what you were getting yourself into? It'd be like me, like going for a biology degree at this point, I think. I don't know if I know how to answer that. Um, <laughs> that's fair. That's, that's fair. Just what, just what it was. Right. Um, and the class I took, the intro to computer science class for majors, um, didn't assume you had previous knowledge. Mm -hmm. So they walked you through everything. Even the kids who had taken some basic programming, which was anything, what anything, what anyone would have done at that point, they still had to get used to this new language we were learning, which at the time was Pascal, um, now very obsolete, but that was state of the art back then. Mm -hmm. So they had to learn that. They had to learn how to, you know, log in and use these IBM terminals that we had to go and to the computer center to use to compile our code and you know the whole thing so there are a lot of us figuring it out together um so it's just what i what i knew i can't imagine what it would have been like 
to be so, any different. Right. And I, and I, when I look at what my daughter's experience is, it's so very different. Um, she studied, you know, she took AP computer science in high school. She started her intro to computer science class for majors in college with an incredible leg up, but still the, you know, the concepts move so quickly and there's so much advanced stuff and very challenging assignments and so forth. Um, so that, you know, she was able to focus not maybe on the basics, but then learning all these more advanced things. But then she is like doing her assignments wherever she wants on her MacBook pro, you know, (laughs) from the comfort of her dorm room Mm -hmm. or on the train to go, you know, visit my, my mom, her grandmother or whatever that is. It's just, we, we didn't have that luxury. We had to actually submit jobs wait for them to compile overnight, hope we didn't have compiler errors, and then go pick up our printouts that would, you know, give us our results. You know, it's just so different. Um, so anyway, I sound like a dinosaur now. No, but anyway, I think it's, it's, I think it's, it's amazing, though. It, it's, um, it's, it's, it's very interesting to contrast my experience with hers. Um, and it's, it's fun. I'll yeah. just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Well, I was, I'll um, share random. Um, because that's how I am. But I was watching season one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So from time to time, I am a panelist on a podcast called The Incomparable. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jason Snell, it's kind of his his baby. And uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is his favorite TV show. And so we talk about pop culture. And he's like, so um, we're going to start doing a season by season, like, talking about Buffy. Do you want to do it? And I was like, sure, you know, I'll do it. And, you know, this this came out in ninety seven I think and I'm looking at the computers there's there's a scene where there's this kid sitting on the steps with what I'm air quoting as a laptop and it's like a CRT monitor like balanced (laughs) on this giant keyboard and just looking at like 20 not even 20 years yet how different things are and how quickly things have changed is kind of mind-boggling to me yeah yeah, it's it, it's really exciting. Um, the number of advances and um, anyway, yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> so, Karen, was there anything else you wanted to talk about today? I don't think so. Okay. Um, so, where can people find you online? Yes, I'm at Karen Catlin, C A T L I N dot com, and on Twitter at K E Catlin, and of course, all the better allies, uh, male allies work is at maleallies dot com, and on Twitter at Better Allies. And you can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to relay.fm slash LTOE and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it would be wonderful if you'd leave a review or even a star rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for less than or equal.